You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, let me just dive right into this. So, have you heard this phrase? United we stand, divided we fall. Anybody know what that, where that came from? Do you know the reference to that? Any guesses at all of that? This is kind of like trivia here. We had trivia the other night at Pure Bean. And uh, so here's a trivia question for you. When was that statement, or what was the original context of the statement, United we stand, divided we fall? Anybody got a guess? You've got to raise your hand. I'm, I'm, I'm an old school teacher, so you just can't blurt answers out of me. Okay, yes, sir. It wasn't the it, it wasn't Abe Lincoln, was it? I like how he said that with so much confidence. I guess, but I'm not Okay, all right. So, Gettysburg Address or something like that, maybe? Uh, no. No, in fact, I, I couldn't find any reference that Abe Lincoln said. A lot of people have said it, or a lot of people have used it, so that's probably why it's a hard one to guess. But anybody else want to take a guess? I won't, you know. What's it? Jonas has a guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it the uh, did, did, did Julius Caesar say that to all the Romans? Uh, this is not Jeopardy. You don't answer the question with a question. <laughs> but that's a really good guess. Um, it would have sounded like a really good thing to say as he was being stabbed to death by all of his compatriots. Uh, but no, it wasn't him either. Stefan? Who didn't say the house that is divided cannot stand? Oh, okay. So, that's all right, you turned it all around yourself anyway, but uh, but yeah, I think Lincoln might have said something like that, which actually he stole from somebody else. Uh, no, that's cheating, you got a computer, Will. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, I'll, I'll believe you. Is it part of a song? What song are you thinking of? Back in the 60s or 70s? Did you want to sing a portion of it and see if we could... <laughs> Yes. Oh, okay. You got there's there's some excitement there. You think that might be it? I see another hand in the back there. Yes. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. <laughs> he he did. He kind of said something like, "Okay, well, let's let's work through this because it's very important that we understand this." So, is there anybody here that's from Kentucky? No. Oh, you spent nine years in Kentucky? Okay, so if you're from Kentucky, it's your state motto, okay? If you're from Missouri, if anybody's here from Missouri, it's on your state flag. Kentucky and Missouri should have practiced what their mottos say and actually been one state or something, and that would have solved a lot of problems. Uh, if you're a Harry Potter fan, Albus Dumbledore said something like it in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Not quite the same thing, but, but pretty close. Uh, okay, it did come from a song. Pink Floyd, hey you, has that line in it. And if you're if you weren't a Pink Floyd fan, maybe you listened to Def Leppard, and you might remember when Love and Hate Collide. It has that line in it. But if we go back a little, you know, and maybe even more recent, because we got a lot of younger people, you might remember it from Marvel's uh, Captain America: Civil War. 
they use that line in promoting that movie. Okay, so there's all kinds of these references in different parts of our of our uh, of our generations. Um, I think we can go back to 19, or 1853, where George Pope Morris wrote the flag of our union and said this. But actually, in July of 1844, Alexander Dumas made the line famous with "All for one, one for all." United we stand, divided we fall. The three musketeers. That's not it. I thought it was. <laughs> I was sure when I thought about myself, I go, well, that's where it's from. It, it even goes back later than that. Uh, Patrick Henry, in his last public speech, which I wish he would speak in Congress today, because listen to what he said in his last speech in March 1799. Let us trust God and our better judgment. Probably should have left that part out. To set us right hereafter. United we stand, divided we fall. Let us not split into factions which must destroy that union upon which our existence uh, hangs. Wow. (laughs) Like I said, it'd be good to have him speak again. But even before him, in 1768, John Dickinson wrote the Liberty Song, which had that, that line in it. Well, we can keep going backwards in, in all of this until we get to the 6th century B.C., 600 years before Christ, which would have been about the time that the Israelis, the, the, the nation of Israel, was taken away into captivity in Babylon. There was a man who was a storyteller. His name was Aesop. And this is probably our earliest direct reference to this phrase. He tells the story of the four oxen or the bundle of sticks. And, and the reason it's called the bundle of sticks is because the storyteller would, would use an illustration where he would take one stick and snap it and show how easily it can be broken. But if you took a bundle of those sticks, suddenly you couldn't break them because they were stronger together. And this is the story. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many a time he tried to attack them, but whenever he came near, they turned their tails to warn another, so that whichever way he approached them, he was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, they fell a-quarreling among themselves, and each went off to pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. Then the lion attacked them one by one, and soon made an end of all four. The moral of the story is... United we stand, divided we fall. So there you go, a little bit of trivia. But, actually, (laughs) the concept behind this phrase can be found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I encourage you to read Ecclesiastes 4 sometime, uh, especially today because it says something to the effect of two are better than one. Uh, they get more out of their work. If somebody falls down, the other one can help the other one up. And uh, uh, especially applicable today is that they can stay warm together. Okay? <laughs> Which is good. You know, just get the church to huddle up a little bit. That's why there's no heat up on the first floor. We just want you guys to huddle up a little bit more. But you know what? That was 935 B.C. where, where we believe Solomon wrote that. You can go all the way back to the book of Joshua in uh, in 1400 BC, and that was where he employed this this military uh, strategy called divide and conquer. 
where he moved into the middle of Canaan, separating north and south Canaan, and picked them apart one at a time by doing that. The, the, the West Point cadets study this as a strategy to this day, straight out of the book of the Bible. And then as we were told it, told it? <laughs> as we were told earlier, Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Um, we can go back to Matthew uh, chapter 12, where Jesus said, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. So this is this has been a concept, this has been a principle that has permeated human history. United we stand, divided we fall. With that in mind, I want to quote first Peter five eight. Be sober minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, think of those four oxen and the lion. All right? With that in mind, let's turn to 1 Peter or 1 Peter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, which in actuality is a continuation of chapter 4. Okay, it's kind of the same chapter just 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 still going on. But in this segment of it, we're going to see that the Corinthian church had some skeletons in the closet. And the Apostle Paul was not afraid to start kicking down some doors. So this is sort of a pivotal point of the whole letter where we're going to see some not-so-nice stuff happening in the church, but there's a reason behind this nice, not-so-nice not stuff. So let's, let's read the text. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. Just as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter, and this is a, the, Brian mentioned this last week, a previous letter that we do not have that he wrote to the Corinthians. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy uh, and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, uh, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is Is it not those inside the church whom we're to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you, which is a quote out of Deuteronomy. I kind of feel like I need to gargle after after reading that chapter a little bit there. Now, now here's the here's the struggle, here's the challenge. Uh, when, whenever we read the Bible, is it's so easy to get distracted. 
it is so easy to land on one point in there and just it's it's so glaringly huge that it's hard to see around it and we often get stuck in there so let me start off by saying this first of all the focus of this part of the letter is not an immoral relationship uh, in the church. Yes, it certainly did exist and it certainly was a bad thing. I mean, even the Romans and the Greeks blushed over this, this situation, which is pretty bad. And the church was tolerating it. Now that's, a, that's an important point, but it's, it's not the main point of what's happening here. Um, nor is this a step-by-step formula for how the church is supposed to handle church discipline. Um, it, it's kind of interesting because I've been involved in a few church discipline situations in my uh, tenure as, as as a minister of the gospel, and uh, I, I've very rarely ever seen it done well. Okay, and it's usually because we go to a text like this and we think, oh, okay, uh, here's here's the step by step IKEA instructions on how to handle an ugly situation within the church. Now, you can go all the way back into the Old Testament, and, and there were methods of discipline there, and some of them even were the death penalty, <laughs> which, which was a way of conveying to the Israelites, there are some things that are worthy of death. Now, that doesn't mean that they were supposed to be put to death. It was supposed to instruct them to understand it can be that bad. Now, can you imagine? I mean, it takes a little creativity uh, to, to discipline, doesn't it? Uh, for us who are parents or have been parents... Could you imagine if we just went to the death penalty immediately? I'm pretty sure my mom and dad probably considered it a few times, you know. But but no, obviously that's not going to work. We we you know we have to we have to try to figure out how to deal with this thing. And and every child disciplines a little bit differently than the other. And and that's the same thing in church. But yet we're so quick to just go to the most extreme right away, right away. In this situation, um, Paul's just saying, this is this bad that we have to take a, a step that's almost as bad as death. And, and that is to separate one from the body of Jesus Christ in the hopes that it will bring him back to Jesus Christ. Okay, But that's, that's not our go-to. We don't always go immediately to that extreme step. We have to do take every effort that we can before that to restore a person. Okay, but this isn't a sermon about church discipline, so I gotta move on. Uh, also, this isn't a recipe for how to deal with spiritual isolation from the world. Which again is something else we do as Christians. We need to read that part in the very, that, that very last part that Paul's talking about. He says, I'm not telling you to isolate away from the world. He says, you can't, you know, you can't avoid sin in the world. You'd have to go to the moon to do that. And then we just take it with us once, once we got there. But he's talking about how we, how we deal within the body of Christ with this. Okay, so, what is the driving point that's being made here? Um, I, I think it's this, and I'm so glad for this series that Brian has decided that we work through the book of 1 Corinthians because it helped me to see something and I guess I hadn't really noticed before, and that happens a lot. You can read the Bible over and over and over again and, and still miss stuff. The driving point within this text was the Corinthians' arrogance. Because if you go back and if you sit down and read 1 Corinthians from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 16 in one sitting, which is possible to do, it's not that hard, you're going to start picking up on something you may not have noticed before, and that's that over and over and over again, throughout this text, Paul keeps addressing their boasting, their arrogance, their being puffed up. 
In fact, uh, just to put things into context, I'm going to give you a real quick summary of the entire book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, where everybody was saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. We get that backwards, and we tend to focus on Paul, Cephas, and Apollos as some kind of personality cult, when the real problem is we got people going, I, I am of. People who were finding their identity by separating from one another. That's very key in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 2, we see it progressing to them being naturally and worldly-minded, you know, which was indicating this pervasive self-centeredness that was within the church, within the individuals of the church. In chapter 3, we see them boasting. They're boasting about their associations and their privatized faith. Basically, they're saying, me and Jesus are enough. It's just, it's just about us. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not a communal relationship with Jesus Christ. And are you starting to see now what, what, what Brian has been saying about how similar the culture of the Corinthians was to ours today? That's why it's such a timely book. In chapter 4, we see that they, they're, they're full of superiority complexes. And, and they started to bear this pharisaical fruit as Brian was talking about. I'm skipping chapter 5 because we're talking about that today. In chapter 6, we're going to see that they have a fixation on their private rights. You know, you violated me, you offended me, so I'm going to sue. Does that sound familiar? In chapter 7, we're going to see where they're using sex as a tool to manipulate. In chapters 8 through 10, which should be one great big chapter, we see that they're exploiting their liberty in Christ... Without compassion. They're just, I'm going to do whatever I want to do because grace has covered me and I don't care what, how that's going to affect you. In chapter 11, we see that worship is all about them just satisfying their own needs. In chapter 12, we, we see them basically saying, well, the church and spiritual gifts exist for my benefit, not the other way around. In chapter 13, love should benefit me through reciprocation. If I'm going to love, then people should love me right back. And that's where we get the great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, oh, no, here's what love really looks like. And it's nothing of this world. In chapter 14, uh, we basically see them saying, well, I've got the coolest spiritual gift, which makes me pretty awesome. And then in chapter 15, we actually have people denying the resurrection, saying, it's really about me living the best life I can live right now. That's really what counts. So it's, it's me. It's me. Me first. It's all about me. And, and, and that really is the, the, the theme that echoes throughout 1 Corinthians. It's all about me. And, and what we have is a collection of very selfish Christ followers. So that we have a picture, you know, I think it's up there on the screen, I can't tell because all the TVs are turned away from me, which is probably a good thing. Uh, but we have this, this picture of, of Christ, you know, and, and that's basically the Corinthian Im- imitation of Jesus Christ. Hey, look at me, look at me, look how great I am. You know, and, and that's not how Christ should be re- represented at all, but they didn't even realize that's what they were doing. This was the Jesus that they were putting before the world. That's why the title of our of our series is it's beyond me. Church is something that is beyond me. Not that it's just beyond something I can't I can understand, which is true. Uh, the mystery of godliness is is beyond me. I can't grasp that fully and completely. But church is not about me. It's about something much much more than that. So Paul addresses this 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 arrogant attitude, this self-centeredness 
the self-absorption that the Christians were were demonstrating in Corinth. And and he and he does it several times throughout the letter. Basically, it is the backbone of First Corinthians: their arrogance, their selfishness, their blindness to the need for a spiritual community. Basically, they were going to church together, but they weren't together. You see, it's foolishness for for someone to boast of of their so-called spiritual independence because that kind of boasting results in this, this elite isolationism. And that elite isolationism we see in this chapter led to boundless immorality and missional collapse. They, they were starting to fold as a church. Do we have the picture of the lone warrior? Now, that's something that, that kind of appeals to me, this, this knight, you know, standing alone against all the evils of the world. And though everybody has abandoned me, I know God is with me. That's probably one of the greatest lies Satan has introduced to the church in North America. It's just me and God, and that's enough. And God is yelling at us saying, "Uh, there's a reason I gave you the church. (laughs) There's a reason I created this thing called the bride of Christ, the, the body of Christ, because you need each other. You can't just stand there alone with me and fight against the world, fight against the devil. You can't even win the fight against yourself without others. But yet it's, it's, it's so pervasive in our culture that we be independent, that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that we isolate ourselves because it comes down to this. The only one I can count on is God. It's just me and Him. And when we get that mentality, the lion is picking us apart one by one. You know, it's really interesting as we, uh, as we tend to kind of idolize this, this individualism in America, but yet we are some of the loneliest people that have ever existed. You see what happened there? We idolized individualism and we've isolated ourselves to the point that, that we are very lonely people and we hurt in our loneliness. Um, with this isolation, we've also kind of developed this elitist mindset that somehow I've got it figured out better than everybody else. And you know what that does? That just turns us into selfish jerks. And I bet you, I bet you, I could throw a, a rock into the pack of wolves, and there'd be a lot of us that say, "Yeah, I've I've encountered some Christians that were selfish jerks. It kept me out of the church for a long time because of some of that, and, and I'm just right now finding my way back. This this sense of individualism also has put us into a point where we have no protection, no protection." from the thing that's most dangerous to our spiritual lives, and that's ourselves. Ourselves. Most of us are in some way probably struggling, struggling spiritually, 
struggling against some temptation, struggling against some sin because we've been trying to fight it by ourselves for too long. It doesn't work, does it, Nick? And we've heard his testimony and how he's learned that. I've suddenly found myself dealing in a ministry that I never sought for myself. Uh, I'm in a ministry where I'm I'm working with, with guys, some of them that are actually in the ministry, that are beat to death by online pornography. They, they thought they could handle it on their own. And it wasn't until basically the rug was pulled out from under their feet and they realized, I can't. And, and it's destroying my ministry, it's destroying my family, it's, it's destroying me. And, and this, is the, this is the common thread I found in talking with these guys. They thought they could beat it alone. And I don't blame them. They're ashamed. Uh, they're, they're, they, they don't feel like this is something I can talk to other people about openly. So I've got it. It's got me and God will do it. We'll somehow figure it out. But it kept getting worse instead of better. So you can see why I really want to destroy that myth of this, this lone warrior standing, standing by himself with God or herself with God, thinking that somehow we're, we're going to figure this out. If you go back to verse 6, here it is. Paul just says it in about five words. Your boasting is not good. You see, what he's addressing here with the Corinthians is that they they failed to understand that they were actually subjugating themselves to the culture around them. Uh, There was a term used throughout the the Roman Empire at that time called Corinthiazamahi. And, and it was not a nice term. If somebody said you were Corinthia, I, I, I'm, well, I can't even say it. <laughs> if somebody said that of you, they're basically saying you are riddled with immorality. Because that's how they saw Corinth. You know, I think Brian said it was like the Las Vegas of our time. But you know what happened in Corinth didn't stay in, in Corinth. It, it went everywhere and it, it even went into the church. And, and this is what happened. We had a whole bunch of oxen in the church that all kind of isolated themselves to different corners of, of, of their pasture, of their spiritual field there. And the lion came in and started picking them apart and picking them apart and destroyed them or was in the process of destroying them. That's why this is probably one of the staunchest, hardest letters that we ever see Paul write. And I'm so glad it's in the, included in the canon of Scripture. He's addressing that the Corinthian Christians were so immersed in this, this brand of lone wolf Christianity that, that they, they could not even see how divided they truly were. They, they weren't even aware of the division. Someone went and visited them and they saw it. Somebody came in from the outside and saw it and they went back to Paul and they said, Whoa, Paul, the Corinthians are going every direction. They're not together. I mean, they're meeting together, but they're not united. And, and they were so divided they couldn't even recognize the depth of immorality that was starting to creep into their ranks. When he says your boasting is not good, he's addressing the, the, the arrogance in this idea of, well, it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's nobody else's business. Does that sound familiar? I mean, that's so, that's so easy to creep into our own mentality. I mean, I had that for a while because that's kind of how I was one to Christ. You know, you, you heard the invitation. You heard the altar call. You too can have a personal, invita- or a personal re- relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And I don't know where that lie snuck in because there's nothing personal about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, He does wind us all to Himself in, in very unique individual ways, but through the same unified message, the message of the cross. But He doesn't win us just so He and, and, and one of us can go off by ourselves and have a little tea party, the two of us. He wins us so that He can build a body of believers together. It's not at all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's everything about a communal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're all in this together, with one another, for one another. And we should have the mindset of united we stand. Because if we get divided, we're going to fall. They were so worried about the inworking of the gospel in their lives that they had no outworking of the gospel in their lives. And I say that because it can happen to us. Where if Christianity or the church is all about how it's somehow going to work in me, somehow it's going to benefit me, Somehow it's going to make me a stronger follower of Jesus Christ, and that's all that really matters. It can get to the point where there's nothing coming out of me that affects the world around me. And I become Corinthiazamahi. I'm more affected by the culture than the culture being affected by my love for Christ and Christ's love for me and my Christ and Christ's love for my brothers and my sisters. So Paul's addressing the Corinthians boasting. In a, in, in a self-conception of, we have, I, I've got it all together. Okay? I've got it all together. <laughs> Mary confessed last week, you didn't have it all together. You know? But you were doing kind of a good job of showing her, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And that really is something that, that, that is very pervasive in our churches today. We, we all show up on Sunday kind of hiding behind the facade of, I've got it together. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm here for you. (laughs) But the reality is, is most of us, our cheese is sliding off of our cracker. The Corinthians didn't have it together because they were failing to live their faith together. That was the main problem here. That's why there was a guy living with his stepmother. That's why they didn't know what to do about the situation. That's why they actually ignored the situation and thought they were hosnot on a gold platter as Christians. That's why they didn't know how to even involve themselves with the world. They didn't even know what their authority was in the world. That's why all these problems were coming is because these Christians failed to live their faith together. They thought it was just about me. In Jesus. And that's it. Just because we gather together as Christians does not necessarily mean that we have unity. If we don't have unity, then then we're going to live our faith out in isolation. And if we live our faith out in isolation, away from the community, that's when the lion's going to pounce. And no matter how strong of an ox you might think you are, you're going to be its lunch. Somewhere I heard once that we are only as strong as our weakest member. 
We are only as strong as our weakest member. And what that does in my head is it takes me places that I'm not sure I'm comfortable going. Because it makes me think every time I come to church, I look out at the body and I go, I'm the weakest member. This bunch can only be as strong as me. And I'm not strong. I don't have it together. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm limping along here. And there's a reason for that. For 14 and a half years, I was isolated as a pastor. For 14 and a half years, I, I fell into that trap of somehow this is all up to me. And I worked in this little independent uh, rural community and, and I didn't have a I didn't have a denomination. It was a non-denominational community, so uh, so it was just us. And I didn't realize that what was happening to me was that I was I was getting separated to the corner of the pasture, where the lion says, "Hey, easy pickings here, easy pickings here." Best thing that ever happened was when they cut our salary. Of course, we couldn't pay our bills. That's not a good thing. But it moved us. And what it did is it it moved Lori and and myself here. It moved us into the middle of this, this body. Where for the first time in nearly 15 years, we realized instead of being vulnerable where people could stab us in the back... We were in a place where people had our back. We don't have to be isolated. We have a community. So Paul uses this Old Testament reference back to the Passover feast about unleavened bread. And when he talks about that, I think we've got to at least address this, why he says we should be leaving the leaven. Um, if, if we're isolated... And if we become arrogant in our spirituality, if we become self-confident in in where we're at in our faith with Jesus Christ, sin can sweep through this whole place just like fire in a dry hay field. And that's why Paul says, man, pay attention and watch out for that. You see, we have to be united. We have to be united in standing together against sin. You know, and, and it's happened here. We, we, we've borne witness to it. We've seen sin destroy someone who tried to handle it on his own. And, and it didn't just stop with him. It, it spread throughout his family. And it spread, spread beyond his family into other people. And it's, it's real easy for me to say, well, it's just my problem. It's just my sin. It's, it's just something I have to deal with. But, but my sin can destroy you. So I need you to stand with me against my sin. I don't like being in that position. But that's the position Christ puts us into. Because that's why He gives us grace. So we can actually practice that grace with one another and beat sin through the faith we have in Jesus Christ. Not alone, but together. We need to be united to to grow in our relationship with Christ. Christ. It's really easy to think, well, I'll just kind of cloister myself off like a monk or something, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to read this book, and I'm going to do that. And, and what we're doing is, I am a 
I am of Timothy Keller. <laughs> I am of John Piper, you know, our favorite authors and things like that. And we're really isolating ourselves into that. I'm not against reading those books. Timothy Keller's a stud, man. But we should be doing it together. We should be growing in our faith together. That's one of the reasons that, that Brian was so driven uh, for us to start our refuge groups because the, the need was there for us to grow in our faith together. And I'm excited to see what's going to happen with that. Um, we need to be united to, to reach the lost and hurting souls that, in our, that are in our city. Uh, you, you might have the desire to, to really make a difference in this world. And, and I'm going to go out there like the Lone Ranger. I'm going to go win people to Jesus Christ. But, you know, the Lone Ranger only had a limited number of silver bullets. So we need each other to do that. In fact, here's an interesting thing. I, I'll never forget reading this statistic once. It was a book on evangelism. And it said that most people will actually get to the point of putting their faith in Jesus Christ after having 5.3 encounters or, 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 or 5.3 other people being involved in their life. And I'm like, how do you get me? Am I the point three? <laughs> um, am I the three-tenths of a person? <laughs> no, normally I'm not. I'm usually number one or number two. Meaning I don't, I don't see the fruit of that encounter with them as I share Christ with them. It's number 5.3 that gets that. You know? but, but that was true in my own life. It wasn't the first person that came up to me and said, Man, dude, you're a loser. You need to know Jesus Christ. Which is basically how he said it to me. Uh, uh, it wasn't, you know, he, he didn't win me to Jesus Christ, but he started planting a seed. He started being an influence, and then somebody else came along and shared some more. And I, pretty soon I started seeing the consistency of what they were saying to me. I am a loser, and I do need Jesus Christ. See, we, the, we're doing it together, and we can't do it alone. If, if we try to stand against sin by ourselves, then we're isolated and we're going to be toast. If we try to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ just by ourselves, then, then we're isolated and we're actually going to be stunted. We actually won't grow as much as we could grow. And if we try to, try to just reach, reach people and help people in our city by ourselves on our own, we're going to run out of ammo. And we're gonna we're gonna give up. We're gonna get discouraged, and then nothing's gonna happen. I really love that picture of the shield wall. I kind of get that tingle up my spine every time I see a movie or a TV show where they actually do the shield wall maneuver because it's pretty cool, and they all just whoa, and they're all behind it together. And man, nothing's getting beyond that wall. And I thought, you know what? That's a really a better picture of what, what the church should look like than that guy standing alone in the beam of light saying, just me and God, we're good enough. This is, this is what a church should look like. It, it means I got my shield up not to protect me, but to protect you. Because I know that this guy's shield is protecting me, and some other guy's shield is protecting him. And you know, when, when you're in that formation, that's when nobody can stab you in the back. And I know that happens in churches. I, I know it. Because I've probably been the guy that stabbed somebody in the back at one point in my isolation. I've also been the guy that's been stabbed in my back 
a few times. The shield wall formation is one where you know everybody's got your back. That's what it means to be united together in Christ. We've got each other's back. I know there's probably some here that have been hurt by Christians. They've been hurt by churches. And that happened because it was a church of Corinthians. They exist. And that's what we want to be on guard from here. That's why we're looking at this book. Is God forbid this should happen to us. Let us be the opposite of that. And, and, and I think I can say with some confidence, if you look around to the person beside you, on each side of you, you're looking at somebody that more than likely would love to have your back. If you, if you look behind you, you've got, you've got somebody behind you. They say, I may not even know who you are because we're sitting in two different rows. <laughs> but I would like to make sure you're going to get through this okay. I would, I would really like to believe that here at Common Ground, that, that when you come here, you just don't come in and, and, and anonymously slip into a service and anonymously slip out and think, okay, I've just checked my list there. I've done time with God on Sunday. But instead, you become part of a family that says, you know what? You may not be fine. And that's okay. But we're here for you. So if you find yourself in isolation, this, this is, I'm going to tell you two things. First of all, this, stop it. Wouldn't therapy be great if that was all you had to do? I think that's really all you have to do. You know? Stop that. Stop isolating. Stop, stop withdrawing. Uh, maybe you feel like you've got to go off into a corner and lick your wounds or something like that, but, but I get that. I understand that. But please understand there are people here that will help bind up those wounds. There are people here that, that will help make sure that it doesn't get infected. There's people here that will give you an arm to lean on until you have the strength to stand up again. And the other thing I'd say, if you're in isolation, um, I would just say this. Here we are. Here we are. Broken? Yeah. Uh, a little messed up? Yeah. Not fine? No. <laughs> but here we are. We're in this together. And together, we can do more. Truly. Together, we can do more. Here we are. I think I can promise we will stand with you. No matter what's going on in your life, if you're looking for somebody to stand with you, I think I can promise you'll find some here. It doesn't mean that things are necessarily going to get easier or better, but it does mean that you'll find someone that will actually guard your back instead of stab it. Here we are. This is what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Not isolated, not scattered. Together. Let's pray. Jesus, I like John Wayne. I like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with these strong, solitary, manly figures. It was just them against the world, and, and, and they prevailed. And, and um, 
And I think I started believing that's the way I had to be a Christian. I think somewhere I slipped up and realized how much I needed other people. Even if it meant them getting in my face. Lord, thank you for surrounding me with a bunch of people that won't let me get away with my my dumbness. But people that will love me in my brokenness and spur me on towards love and good deeds. Lord, thank you for guys like Nick that uh, called Brian down on on something and, and made him take action that he needed to take. Uh, I don't want to be in that position, but it's good to know that if I ever have to be in that position, I've got a guy like that to, to call me on the carpet. Um, Lord, thank you that there are people here that that love one another without expecting anything back. Thank you for creating a body of individuals that come together as a whole to say, how can I help? How can I help? Lord, I know we're, we're not perfect by any means. And Lord, I know, that, uh, I know that there's always room for growth for all of us. But I do pray that your spirit would bind us together in a way that, that we do stand together against sin. Not in, the, not in this judgmental, condemning approach, but in a restorative approach. Not in a way that's punitive, but in, in a way to say, look, I want to I wanna see you be as healthy and as whole as you can be, and, and I want myself to be whole, healthy and whole. And I can't do that alone. I need, I need others. I pray that your spirit would work in that. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to grow in leaps and bounds in our spiritual faith, that the months ahead of us will we'll find ourselves sharpening one another like iron sharpens iron. pray, Father, that you would bring us together as a team to care for our city, to care for people that are hurting, to care for the lonely, to care for the hungry, to, to care for the someone who might think he's the world's worst sinner right now. And to just point them towards Jesus, because that's all we got. Lord, we could pool all of our resources here, but truly that is all we've got just you lord so may we be a body that's united may we be a body that when people look at us collectively they see more of jesus christ and lord for the one who feels like he's been cornered away and forgotten maybe maybe doesn't feel necessary maybe maybe he feels worthless i don't know God, would you turn that person's eyes around to you through us and help that person hear. Hey, here we are. We're here for you. Lord, we pray this, that your kingdom would increase and that your name would be made known. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.